Welcome to the Expat Fire Club, where we interview seekers of financial independence living outside of their home countries and the people that can help them achieve their goals. All right, Daniel. Well, welcome back here. And of course, we are on to our next podcast with Chris Roberts. How's it going, though, Daniel? Yeah, it's going great. It's a really nice day here in Shiga. How about you? You're you're in Tokyo. How's I'm it looking up today? in Tokyo. Yes, it is a beautiful day here. Nice fall weather. But uh, yeah, so we got to interview Chris Roberts. He's the CEO of Sterling Rhino Capital, and he's got a really cool backstory. It's kind of, it's amazing to think that he went from standing in food lines. He talks about how he was standing in food lines as a kid. He didn't have much to, now he's in control of like thousands of doors right now as the, as the CEO of Sterling Rhino Capital. So yeah, what did you think though, Daniel? Yeah, I think it was really, uh... An interesting story. One of the things he brought up, which was was great, was he initially started investing, I think, in the same town as Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets. So a lot of people in real estate know about Brandon Turner, but they were in the same town investing when they started off. And now he's doing these really large commercial residential syndications. And it's, it's just amazing to see how someone can go from, as you said, like, you know, standing in food lines to his initial investments in single family houses, and then all the way up to what he's doing today with these multi-million dollar deals. Absolutely, yeah, very cool stuff. So yeah, definitely stick around for this podcast here. And also don't forget to like and subscribe down below to the Expat Fire Club for future interviews with other syndicators, other investors from all over the world. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Daniel nor John nor our guests are engaged in the provision of legal advice or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. We'll be talking with Chris Roberts from Sterling Rhino Capital. And he is, Chris Roberts is a real estate investor, an entrepreneur, author, philanthropist. And, and Chris, I hope I didn't leave anything out there. Please do fill us in on that. And some of the things that you will learn today in this podcast, uh, you will learn about real estate syndications. You will learn about Chris Roberts' company with Sterling Rhino Capital. And more importantly, we'll, we'll kind of talk about, we'll hit on a little bit about investing from overseas into syndications here. So uh, yeah, without further ado, Chris, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks, John and Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners or watchers or wherever this thing's going to be streamed <laughs> at. And uh, looking forward to sharing some some value with you guys. Hopefully, we can we can help some of your listeners to uh, invest or at least become a little bit more knowledgeable in the multifamily investing space. So, uh, Chris, can you give us a little background about yourself? Can you fill us in here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I was on my own at a pretty young age, so I had kind of that entrepreneurial bug, whether it was selling candy or sodas out of my locker or washing cars or what, delivering newspapers. I, I, for whatever reason, had that little itch early. And mom always told me, you know, if, if you want something, you got you to go out and work for it. And so being out on my own at a very young age, I, I went out and worked up to three jobs and came across a mentor at one point that taught me the value of uh, spreadsheets and understanding the analytics on the back end of business and gave me some books to read and pretty much put me on the right path in life. And, and that led me down a career of, of building a sales and marketing company 
did that for 20 years, very successful there. I think at our peak, we're $29.5 million or so annually, doing really well. And then as I started making a little bit of money, I realized that I needed to, to invest it properly so that I could offset some of those taxes. That income started climbing. And I was always one to kind of live below my means anyway. So as this money started coming in, I didn't miss much by learning how to invest it, but it started with the stock market. That's why I, I put it because everyone taught me that's what you're supposed to do is put it in the stock market. And then one individual had talked to me a little bit about investing in real estate. So I bought a few pieces of land. Uh, sold those, made a little money, and then kind of paused for a while, bought a primary residence and forgot about it until I had dinner with a good friend. And uh, he owned several rental properties and started talking to me about the value of cash flow. And that's when it really started to make sense to me. So I bought some bank-owned properties, some fix and flips, started renovating one after another after another. Uh, ironically, I actually bought a property for $50,000 from someone who owns a chain of sushi restaurants in Japan. And I had to go oh, wow. through the Japanese consulate in order to buy it from her. <laughs> the property was here in the States. I actually just sold that property for about $400,000. I only had it for about four years. So it's just interesting how this, how this real estate, how real estate works and how profitable and opportunistic it can be if you learn. So fast forward, I realized if I wanted to scale and build financial freedom and wealth, I needed to bring people on and to, at the same time, afford others the opportunity to learn along the way. We started building out these syndication models, right? So I built out a team, bring in hundreds of investors, you know, 50, 60 on a deal sometimes, but we have hundreds and hundreds of them in our system. And now they help us and we acquire these larger multifamily assets, not buying anything really under a hundred doors today. And so that's kind of where I am today. And obviously there's a lot to that backstory, but I'm also a book author. And, and as you stated in the beginning, do a whole bunch of other stuff, but a lot of it's not relevant wow. to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. So let, let me ask you this, first of all, where, where did you start investing? So I know you said you're in the Pacific Northwest, right? Mm -hmm. Is that where you started with your single family home investments? Yeah, you know, it's it's ironic. I'm sure you guys have heard of Bigger Pockets and Brandon Turner. Yeah. I had followed Bigger Pockets for a little while and I realized that Brandon Turner and I had actually bought property, our first properties in the same town wow. in a little, little western Washington town on the coast. And then that's where I actually cut my teeth really in buying my fix and flips. And the reason mm -hmm. for that was I found that it was property I could afford in a market that was kind of tertiary outside of my area. And while a lot of what folks were telling me, why are you buying there? Don't buy there. You know, you want to be in the hot markets. I needed to follow the numbers and the numbers told me a different story. And I'm really glad I followed those numbers because it, it worked out really well for me. Everything I've ever sold there produced more than double digit returns and far beyond performa, which is amazing. And I can see why he was in that market as well. Obviously he's moved on. I think he lives in Maui now, but it was yeah. just funny because a parallel there and it felt comfortable knowing that someone that I knew that was you know fairly famous in the real estate world had also bought properties there. So really where I started was a little bit of land, but then the fix and flips. And that was about the fix and flips were about seven years ago where I started. Mm -hmm. The land was about 12, 14 years ago when I first started there and then multifamilies three years now. Okay, great. And you, you mentioned also that you were in sales and marketing. You had mm -hmm. a, a company with that. Could you tell us a little bit about how that background maybe influenced what you do now in real yeah. estate? That's a very good question. And I, I think there, there's two things I find that are, are very underserved or are underestimated in this space. And it's the ability to have conversations with people, be it sales and marketing, if you will, or even just being able to free flow in conversation and the ability to raise capital, which actually dovetails with that, right? Because if you can't get in front of people and you can't apply the knowledge that you're learning and you can't appear to be a thought leader and you usually appear to be a thought leader through your knowledge base and applying that knowledge, right? It'll be very hard for you to bring investors and therefore you'll have a hard time 
investing in your own deals and buying these larger properties. You need a network of investors, right? So it's like, what happens first, the chicken or the egg? And it's, well, go find a deal. No, go find the money. No, vice versa. And in my opinion, it's find the money, right? Because you can always jump in and find a deal somewhere if you have money. But if you don't have money and you find a deal, it may not be the deal that your money wants. Therefore, yeah. you have no deal, right? And mm -hmm. so that, that's what I found very interesting. Those two things, as I've learned in this process, and we've built some amazing systems, amazing team members, but I would say those are the two things I come across a lot with people. They're, they're introverts. They're, they're not comfortable getting out there and just sharing and learning and teaching. And, and therefore, they're not going to bring in that network that's going to really help propel their company. And if you don't have that, then you better find someone that, that is good at it so that they can help that piece of your company that's missing. Cool. Wow. So, yeah, that's so great. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you. So, so Chris, how did you dovetail that into starting up Sterling Rhino Capital and putting your team together? And and so, so that must have been a pretty big undertaking here. But can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, specifically taking, let's say, a sales and marketing world and then applying those skill sets to the multifamily space. How that works is one, going out to these networking events, right? Or joining mentor programs or, or whatever, you name it. You, you really have two pieces of the puzzle, primary pieces. You have all these pieces to doing syndication, but let's just talk about two main pieces. You talk about the investor relations side and you talk about the infrastructure, the backend side of the business, right? And of course there's asset management and there's all these other things, but the two primary focuses of this space is investor relations and developing that model. And then the back end, your systems, your software, your CRMs, your automations, whatever. You need those two things. And so I came with the skill sets of basic business ownership management, spreadsheets, analytics, but that's not what I enjoy. I can do all of that. I've had to do it with my other businesses, but that's not the space I want to live in. The space I want to live in is this. I want to have conversations with people. I want to educate. I want to help investors become financially free. I really really enjoy those conversations. And, you know, they always say, and maybe it's kind of cliche, but it's like, oh, you, you want to find the job you love. You know, you want to be passionate. You want to, well, good luck. That's hard, right? <laughs> it's very hard to just go to work and, and do what you love because you have to have a paycheck. I love sales and marketing because I love people. And I love people because I came from a struggling background as a kid where I had to go out and talk all the time and try to prove myself because I didn't have fancy things. I didn't have money. We stood in food lines at one point when I was a kid. So I had to go out there and sort of prove myself all the time. And as I developed into an adult, those skill sets proved to be a massive advantage in building a sales and marketing career because I was very natural at having conversations with strangers, right? And then I had mm -hmm. that ability to, to exude that sort of confidence because I spent a lot of time on the back end of myself and learning whatever it was that I was presenting, right? And so when I come mm -hmm. across, it comes off, I've been told, very articulate and professional and, and uh, not stumbling and fumbling and such. And so that for me was where my skill sets were built in the sales and marketing world. The reason that's relevant and why it dovetails into multifamily is because when you can talk to people and articulate your position, i.e., hey, multifamily has great returns, blah, 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 so on and so forth, then people will follow and they'll listen. And then mm -hmm. on the other side of things, you need that analytical person that can build up the system. So that's how sales and marketing helped me. It was just sort of developing that gift to gab for 20 years and then not being uncomfortable being on a stage of 2000 people, which I've, I've been on those stages and it's not a big deal. You just have to make sure yeah. you do your research and articulate, right? I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think one thing that's interesting to me is that I always had this sort of aversion to sales, you know, when I was young and I had certain jobs where 
they wanted you to sell something, you know, and, and I had that feeling like, oh, I'm not good at sales. But then one thing that really changed it for me was when somebody said, like, you know, what is something you really like? Like, you know, say you're into the Harry Potter series, you, you sell that to your friends all the time, right? Yeah. You're, you're just telling something you're passionate about. And so I think that's that's really seems to be a key for me is that when you're really passionate about something, it's not like you're selling something, you know, this idea, we, we sometimes have a negative connotation of sales in most cultures, I would say, where it, you're, you're trying to push something on somebody that's not what they want. But if you really passionately believe about something, that's, I think, a really good way to go with sales. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, I do. And Daniel, let me, let me just feed off of that for a second. So there's some, I've trained tens of thousands of salespeople and the word salesman just has this negative connotation. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. defense attorneys and salespeople or whatever, but it, it's not that way. And if you think about today in technology, it's like, look, when I'm talking to folks or I'm training, I'm saying, look, you want to educate people and earn their business. Okay. You, you don't have to sell anything. If you do a good mm -hmm. job at educating and articulating and just being a real person, right. Just mm -hmm. like everyone comes from a different pers perspective in life. And if you can just better understand them, it's likely you'll earn their business because no one wants to be sold anything, right? I, I don't care if it's multifamily investments or it's a car. You want to go in and sort of be guided through the process. And then you want to buy something and feel good about it and go home and sell it to your significant other, if you will, right? And yeah. I think that's what what's missing. And I think it's on both sides, right? I've had people on showrooms, you know, get all defensive. And I say, hey, you want to buy something? Because I'm not here to really sell you something. I'm just going to educate you, teach you, help you answer questions, ask you a few questions, and then hopefully we do business together when it's all said and done. Right. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know, Hey, you tell me, what have you learned? What do you know? You know, I'm not here to tell you to buy the blue one or the green one or the invest with us. We're the best. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Right. And I think that's yeah. where you start breaking down those walls and it becomes friendly and fun. Right. Yeah. So it's not really so much selling. It's more educating and earning people's business. Mm, great. And that, that works out well for us because we're both university professors. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Let me take a little bit of a step back because our listeners are, you know, kind of coming from different levels of investing or knowledge of investing. Can we go back to what a syndication is? Could you give kind of a, a overview of what syndication is so that we, we have everybody on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. So a syndication, and again, syndication has a negative connotation. You know, it's like yeah. a syndicate. <laughs> Basically what it is, is, is if you think about it, it's, it's a, a bunch of people on two sides getting together. It's a GP side, the general partnership group, which would be my, my group, like the Sterling Rhino capital team. And that could consist mm -hmm. of anywhere from three to 10 people in your extended team, property managers, asset managers, attorneys, so on and so forth. And then you have the LP side, which is the limited partner side. So these two groups come together. The general partnership side's responsibilities really are to go out and find opportunities. So we might go out and source an off-market opportunity, a multifamily investment in this case. And we bring that opportunity to the limited partner group and say, hey, we have an opportunity, let's say in this case, 100 units to buy. And if if you want to come in with us and invest, say, a minimum of $50,000, then we can give you an estimated certain amount of returns. And so the, the general target that you'll hear out there is, and again, full disclaimer, these are just estimates, but what you'll hear is, okay, you put $50,000 in and within five years, you could have somewhere between 70 and 100,000 back, right? And of that 70 or 100,000 back, you might get some cash flow and some equity on when the value of the property is increased. So really all you're doing is putting two groups together. Limited partners are a non 
active role, so they don't have to do anything. They just passively invest and get cash flow and equity. Of course, the assets are held three to five years on average. And the GP team are the ones that are the boots on the ground. They're grinding every day. They're sending out the newsletters and they're finding the assets and managing the assets along with an extended team, right? So that's basically what a syndication is. And then the little bonus to that, which you don't get as much in the stock market is you get these accelerated depreciation case studies that allow you to take some maximum benefit, especially if you have other earned income, like a non-W2 or if you're a real estate professional and you do get mm -hmm. some tax write-offs, obviously when you invest in the stock market, but in this instance, you get a little bit more of an advantage usually, and your returns are generally higher from what we've seen in the industry. So I hope that explains mm -hmm. it. Yeah, definitely. That was a great overview. Yeah. Good. Cool. So Chris, you mentioned that some of your first investments were in Washington, right? Or in the, the Pacific Northwest area. Yeah. So single family duplexes land and now the multifamilies are other places. Okay, so now you've you've transitioned into multifamily, and of course now you're you're with Sterling Rhino Capital, and you're you're looking into these huge syndications. With are, are you still looking in the Pacific Northwest, or are you focusing on a specific area in, within the United? States? Good question. We look all over the country, not vigorously. We we look in the sense that we want to kind of understand what's going on, right? But primarily, we're in the Southeast because we found that they're very landlord friendly states down there. We have found that there's still really good opportunities at cost per door. You can find deals anywhere from sometimes 35000 up to, say, the $65,000 range, which is great because when you look at the national average of rents, that allows you to cover 70 to 80% of the renter base, right? Whereas when you start getting north of $1,000 a month, you start limiting your renter base. When you get below 500 a month, you start going into, say, trailer parks and things of that sort. Yeah. So we like to target that BC class, and we like to target that, let's say, Thirty-five to sixty-five thousand dollars a door range. Now, it's not that we haven't bought things at you know seventy, eighty, even one hundred twenty-five thousand a door, but it's a very specific circumstance that we'll go into those price points. And in the state of Washington, for example, or even in some of these other hot markets like say Atlanta or Dallas, you're lucky to get things below one hundred and fifty a door, sometimes two and a quarter a door, which again starts limiting your renter base. And while those assets are a little more stable right? From a tenant base and the rents coming in, in my opinion, there's just not as much upside as some of these things that have a little bit more hair on them, right? A little more challenging deal. And that's why we like those assets. I hope that that makes sense. Sure. Sure. We'll talk about some challenging deals later <laughs> on in the, in the podcast here, but yeah, thanks. That's, that's a great, that's good to know that the, the Southeast is the, the place that you're kind of focusing on there. Yeah. And, and these deals that you're targeting, are they, they're mostly value add deals. So, you know, maybe you could define a little bit what a value add deal is here too, as, as well. But yeah, um, is that what you're targeting or are you targeting more stabilized deals? Yeah, we're, we're targeting the value add assets. I mean, we're, we're in the process now of acquiring, I think it's five or six buildings over three, two to three assets. And then we're exiting a couple as well. A lot going on. One of them is a B class, you know, more around the line, more around the range of 125,000 a door. And then the other ones all range anywhere 50 to 75,000 a door, right? So there's a little bit of a delta there, but there's a reason for it. It's a really good asset and a really good area next to a hospital and a college. And it just yeah. makes sense, right? And so value add is you're going into an asset that requires some significant work, right? Let's say the previous sellers only renovated 30 units and it's a hundred unit complex. You have 70 units to renovate and maybe they have some roofs or some exterior or some cosmetic that need to be renovated as well. And so you might go in with a budget of 500,000 to a million dollars. And that also changes the way you, you secure your debt. But what it does is it allows you to go in and then renovate these units and bring them online at a higher 
rent level, right? Which is what everybody mm -hmm. likes. You can go into a stable asset and maybe you might get 50 to a hundred dollars on a classic unit. If there's not a whole lot to do classic being, maybe it was renovated recently, but classic in the sense that you're not going to renovate it. Right. But if you're yeah. going in and renovating, generally you have a bigger Delta, bigger spread to bring that NOI up. And that's why we mm -hmm. like those value add plays. Let me just give you one quick example. We can dive into okay. this later, but uh, we purchased a property that had rents of $550, right? And market rents were 950. Now the mm -hmm. closest comp was 785 at the time, right? So yeah. even the very, very low hanging, like the lowest low was like 785. So you knew mm -hmm. there was this massive Delta, but there was a lot of work to be done on this property, right? And so now you yeah. got to go in with the stomach to deal with all these contractors, all this value add, 1980s vintage, never really been touched, a ton of work, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if you're buying a B or an A class, you could probably sleep a little bit better because you're pretty much yeah. just throwing countertops and flooring and appliances in, right? A little bit easier to deal mm -hmm. with, so. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, when you're building, when you're targeting these properties in markets that are not, you know, where you're located, are you building new teams in each market? Or do you have a team that's kind of mobile that can move to those markets as you need it? That's a great question. And I get the question a lot. How do you buy across the country? You know, because it's, it's overwhelming if you're, if you're not a, an entrepreneur who has dealt with significant challenges like I have in business for years, mm -hmm. it can be very scary, right? I think Jack Canfield has a saying, everything you want is on the other side of fear. I love that. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, everything's on the other side, but most people won't even bother to go onto the other side because it's scary, right? So the, the answer to your question is I have teams in, well, not teams. I have team members in Texas, Florida, New Jersey, so we have teams in strategic areas where we can get to anything. We also have okay. property management people that we actually partner with in some of our deals. So their mm. boots on the ground and local. So that looks really good with a lender as well, right? So we've yeah. acquired Freddie Mac agency debt, lots of bridge debt. I think we're, we're going to be pushing close to $75 million worth of assets in the last two and a half years or so. And mm. uh, we've done it all without living in the state that we buy in. We just have... Yeah. people that are very close or property managers that are on the ground. So you want strategic partners. There's nothing wrong with partnering with a group, say in Texas and a group, say in Georgia, but you mm -hmm. need some degree of continuity because your investors are depending on you. And for me, I don't like unknowns. I like to plan way ahead. And that's why we won't buy in, let's just say some random Midwest state because we're not yeah. there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I've used a similar strategy on a much smaller scale. You know, for example, I, I bought with a couple of partners a few years ago, and one of us, both two of us were in Japan. One of us was in Hawaii. We bought something in Huntsville, Alabama. It was a 20 duplex portfolio. And, you know, there was a lot of value add. There were things like this going on. So we partnered with our real estate agent, actually. And it was great because he had, he had the reputation, he had, you know, the relationships right in the town. And so he's helped us manage it. You know, we've held it for about three or four years and we're going to be selling it soon. But yeah, that's, I think that's a great strategy, especially for our listeners who are mostly living out of the United States. And to kind of go on to that, we know that an American living abroad, because I've done this myself and, and John has also, we've invested in syndications from abroad as American citizens. And the situation is not much different from an American living in the United States. But what about non-Americans? Have you had any non-American citizens investing? And how does that work? 
Well, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that, and I can't get into too much detail because we're going through mm -hmm. all the legal paperwork and such right now. But I usually defer to my CPAs, real estate attorneys, SEC attorneys, and and all of those guys for all the expertise on this subject. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that I'll give you an example. There's a group out of Canada, and they yeah. they pool a lot of Canadian investors to then invest in U.S. assets because they're kind of a liaison, right? So instead of one investor, yeah. they say, look, we do it for you. Come in with us. Then we go in and jump in on deals for you. So there is a there is a path. As an individual investor, let's say you're in Japan, for example, and you want to invest 50000 in a deal that we have or whatever. Mm -hmm. It can be done. You just have to make sure you're paying attention to the tax implications, duties, whatever and there may be. And that means you're going to probably want to talk to a U.S. tax attorney or a CPA so that you can figure out based on your individual circumstance, which is why we always say, full disclosure, we're not CPAs or attorneys, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what's most important probably for someone investing from overseas is to make sure that they're talking to the right people to get the right mm -hmm. advice. Because we know it can be done. It's being done all the time. And I, as I was saying, I can't get into detail, but we're working with someone that's going to bring hundreds of millions of dollars of equity in from another country. And mm -hmm. it's all above board, but it's 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 a lot of money. So there's a lot of legal paperwork, right? And they yeah. want us to be deploying that capital for them into US assets. So there's some things in the pipe right now. We're going to be learning a lot about this process. Actually, it's interesting you asked. But individual okay. investors, okay. yeah, I've, I've been asked that a few times. We haven't had any investors in our deals that have actually mm -hmm. invested that were not US citizens yet, but I know yeah. it's being done. Well, I, th I think, yeah. Chris, once that goes through, we might have to have you come on again and just specifically yeah. take a deep dive on that one once you yeah. once we get everything sorted out with that. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, again, building on people investing from overseas with with expats, I think that looking at some of these deals, it can be kind of scary for someone who who has never put, you know, 50000 to to $100,000 into an investment, into a syndication here. So can you go through some of the pros and cons of, of investing into a syndication and becoming a limited partner? And, and why don't we get the, the negatives out of the way? What's a, what's a, positive, a possible like pitfall that, that someone could run into? Yeah, po possible pitfall is you know, this is a relationship business. So especially if it's a 506B filing, which is non-accredited, you can allow non-accredited, which means you have to have a substantive relationship. So we can allow you to come in. If we get on the phone calls, we have some emails, we get to know your investment strategies and your qualifications. Great, you're in. 506C, you're advertising, right? So you can advertise to anyone and those are considered more knowledgeable folks that can just jump in and take the risk, right? But let's talk about the cons. So if you are a 506B person, for example, not accredited, you probably don't have much knowledge in the real estate world, which leaves you susceptible to scams and con artists and people that don't know what they're doing, right? In this space, if you feel warm and fuzzy about a YouTube video you saw, you could potentially be investing with that group and giving them your 50 grand and they don't know what they're doing or maybe it's perhaps their first deal. Now, the good news, and I'm not going to jump into all the cons, I'll give you some more negatives, but the good news is that because this is a tangible asset, it's honestly a little harder to fail with buying a multifamily asset than it is in some other things you might do, like opening up, a, a, like say, a franchise or a brick and mortar store because you love coffee, for example. That's not a good reason to open up a coffee shop, right? And a yeah. lot of people take their life savings and throw it in there thinking, I want to be a business owner. And then they fail miserably because they realize I can't work seven days a week, 20 hours a day and make you know $5 an hour because that's what it takes to actually build a business from the ground up, right? Or I pick the wrong location and that's it, I'm out. So with syndications, these are individual businesses. So you're investing in a team, you're investing in a business. And you want to make sure that even if you're a beginner, that you're vetting it because you could lose all your money. If you invest with the wrong sponsor, they don't execute their business plan and their performance properly 
you could lose your money. Now, you're not going to jail. They're not going to jail. It's an investment. But there's full disclosures on all these documents you sign. So really, the worst case scenario is you lose your investment, right? The downside mm -hmm. is it's an illiquid asset as well. So when you put the 50000 in, it's in for three to five years, maybe even longer. So you can't just go and get it out. Now, while some PPM agreements, which are the legal documents, have disclaimers that will allow you to jump out if your shares are up for sale to partners or other limited partners and someone takes, not all do that. So can't get your money out right away, right? That's a con. But for the most part, those are the cons is you could lose all your money. It's an illiquid asset. You have to put a little time into vetting the sponsorship group or the deal itself. Ask the right questions. Like we have 70 YouTube videos on our YouTube channel because we get asked all these questions. So we made all these videos to answer them, right? Oh, Same thing with great. the website and our blogs. Yeah. Cause it's like, go to the YouTube channel. Oh man, I didn't know you had videos on that. Yeah. We have videos on everything right? Including mm -hmm. the benefits of multifamily and, and against the stock market or, you know, what are the tax implications and all that? We do it all, right? So anyways, I hope, I hope that answers the negative. You want some positive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Let's go to the positives. Cool. So, and, and there, I'm sure there are some other negatives, but I haven't really found them. Those seem to be the two. The, the positives are, and this is just from my personal experience because we can't guarantee returns, right? But I have found that in my own personal experience, I get two to three times the returns that I was getting in the stock market. That's my own personal mm -hmm. portfolio. So I converted almost all of my retirement money into a bunch of multifamily yeah. assets. And those returns are getting me two to three times what I was getting in the stock. So it's not rocket science. It's actually mm -hmm. right there in the CRMs and the distributions come and you can see it all, right? And the reason for that is you have cash flow, which in most deals actually almost equals what you'd get in the stock market, right? Yeah. Then you have the equity play, right? So it's almost like what you're getting in return times two in the equity you get at the end. And then you also have that depreciation. So you get like this trifecta when you invest in real estate, if it's done right, right? So those, those are major benefits. The other thing is it's a tangible asset. So you could fly to the state or if it's in your own state, you can put your hands on that building. You're a limited partner on the LLC. There's no liability to you really because you're protected through all these layers. But the cool mm -hmm. thing is that you actually are an owner of a 104 unit building, for example, and you can tout that. Hey, yeah, I'm diversified. It also helps with your net worth a little bit, right? Because those assets are growing at a pretty good clip and you get a little piece of that net worth in your financial statement as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch yeah. of pros, but the biggest ones are the returns and the tax benefits that I've found. And it's also a, a newly diversified asset that most people just don't know they have access to, because if you're not accredited, especially you don't have access to these unless you know somebody like us. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the things that I've come across, like, you know, I shifted my portfolio basically last year to be a little bit more passive. So I've been doing a lot more passive investing in syndications, including one of your syndications, like I went through Anthony Pinto, who's here in mm -hmm. Japan, who you teamed up with. But as I started to tell people about that, it, it's sort of interesting. I heard a lot of misconceptions about um, this asset, this type of investing. I'll just start with one that I heard yesterday, but I'm sure you've heard a lot of other ones. But just one of those that I heard yesterday is I told somebody about my preferred return that I was going to get, sort of the cash flow. And the type of investment that I did was actually an industrial triple net lease. So it's a very secure return on that that comes out every year. And when I told him that, he said, well, that's not really true because what happens is they take all of these fees on top of that. And then you're going to end up with 4% or 3%. It's much lower than the stock market or direct investment. 
And so I, I was hoping you could address that about the fees and how that works into the syndications and your return. I am so grateful that you asked this question because <laughs> I mean, it's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. Seriously. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. And, and here's why, here's why I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the whole paradigm concept, which is basically a reflection of the way we live based on our experiences. Okay. That's what a paradigm is basically. So yeah. we all go through life with these paradigms, these way we see things. Right. And that is, that is a paradigm. Somebody heard something, they saw something, they think something, they, whatever, because if you're in this space, you know, that that's not true. That's, that's not true at all, right? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, unlike the stock market, in most cases, not all cases, but it, unlike the stock market where you see this fancy deck when you log in that says, oh, your returns are 9% this year, you are getting management fees. And oftentimes they are not deducted out of that percentage you see. So in the stock market, generally, yeah, you, you are actually seeing a lower return than you might see in your pitch deck, right? When you- yeah. No, no offense to Vanguard or anybody, but when you log in, that's what, unlike real estate, the way real estate works is yes, there are fees because these are a lot of work and we deserve to get paid. We've earned it. I have one deal I had 450 hours in before I closed the deal personally, right? Yeah. 11 months to close that deal. Now I can't give you the percentage because I just don't want to violate the SEC rules, but I'm going to yeah. tell you this, all of that time and energy that went in and how hairy that deal was. Our investors are going to see unbelievable returns on that deal. Now, everyone thought, "Woo, this is a rough property. And I thought the same. And I hung in there for a long time. But it is going to be so worth it. We actually have offers on that property right now, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the thing is, with our st fee structure, it's all disclosed in the PPM up front. And your returns are after all of those fees. So of course they're all estimates, right? But we fully disclose, hey, we're gonna charge an asset management fee for the investor relations stuff and, and running the asset, managing the managers and the trips out there and all that, we're gonna charge this fee. We're gonna charge an acquisition fee. So an asset management fee for the day-to-day and an acquisition mm -hmm. fee. It's like a broker fee. You know, you split it among the team. Everybody worked hard. They spent a lot of time going in there. Sometimes the deals take anywhere from four months minimum to a year mm -hmm. to negotiate. It's a lot of your life, right? And so you earn these fees. Now, there are lots of fees, right? There's exit fees. There's construction fees. There's all these fees. I would be leery of seeing more than, say, maybe three fees because, yeah, mm -hmm. you can get feed to death. But remember, those fees are built in for a reason. Maybe it's a huge heavy value add project and they need a construction fee because it's going to take a ton more work, right? At the end of the day, when you get your performa, it's the sponsor's job to execute that performa. And if they come up short, right, it makes them look terrible and they're going to have a hard time bringing you in on the next few deals. So remember, yeah. just because you see fees doesn't mean that they're not going to try like heck to get those returns for you and try to exceed those returns, which is why it's good to be with a conservative sponsorship group. So the, the, that, that point he was making is totally off. Yes, there are fees, but the reality is that from what I've seen in the industry average, you're going mm -hmm. to see somewhere between 14 and 18% annual returns on most deals that you invest in. And in the stock market, historical hundred year average from what I've been heard, told and seen online. And it's like seven, 8% historical hundred year mm -hmm. average. So when you look at real estate syndications, you're like, wait a minute, 14, 16, well, 14, 18, that's, that's way different. And what do I care if I'm paying a fee? I mean, you'd be yeah. paying fees one way or another, right? I hope that, yeah, and, hope that answers it. Yeah, exactly. And that 14, 15% annual return is after the fees, right? I mean, that's, right. that's right. the thing we're, we're talking about, which I 100%. think is people don't understand that, right? 
So that's great. What about any other misconceptions? Is there something that, you know, I've probably heard a few, but I'm sure you've heard many more than me. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, I, th else? I think, I think the, one of the main ones I hear is, you know, I'm afraid to invest in a place I don't live. Right. Mm -hmm. But we mindlessly throw money into the stock market. It's like so funny. These habits that we have, even if they're bad habits or habits we don't understand, we do it because we're used to it. But yet we won't invest in a property that's 100 miles away or 500 miles away. Mm -hmm. And so what I tell people is what you need to get comfortable with is your sponsorship group. And we put a ton of videos up because we want people to get to know us, right? Even when we set up our investor calls, there's a video of me explaining what my call is going to be like so that they feel more comfortable scheduling the call, right? Because if you're just yeah. going to schedule a call, you might think you're going to get some suit, some guy who's just going to hammer me or make me feel like I'm insignificant and then get off the phone real quick. And that's not who we are. So mm -hmm. you have to get to know your sponsor group and you have to learn the basics of underwriting an asset, right? So that you feel comfortable. It'd be like a prospectus on a stock that you might invest in, right? You should take it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, we post on Forbes Real Estate Council and other places I'm a member of, again, just to try to get the word out as much as possible. But ultimately there's nothing like this conversation you and I are having. Once yeah. we get off the phone, you should feel comfortable investing with my team. And if you mm -hmm. don't, then you should keep doing your research or get on the phone again with me, right? And ask some more questions. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Yeah. So so Chris, you you mentioned that you actually you you switched from investing in stocks into strictly into real estate and more importantly into multifamily. So for like an average investor, what would you what would you I don't want to give recommendations here, but what would you think of as like a balanced portfolio with stocks, bonds, real estate? If you wanted to throw in commodities, if even crypto, I don't know. I don't know if anybody yeah. if you even mess around with that kind of stuff. What what would you sure. think is a good balanced portfolio for the average investor? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on your financial situation, right? Because a lot of folks are paycheck to paycheck out there and they're, they're trying to get in the game, if you will, crypto or real estate or whatever, and, or, or getting into crowdfunding or angel investing or whatever. I think it's, it's important to diversify, but to your comfort level, if you're a little bit older, you're probably going to go into more conservative bonds and CDs and things like that. Right. I have several people that are in retirement that have invested with us. And the reason they did it is because they wanted more cash flow. Right. And they just weren't getting the cash flow out of their retirement portfolio. And so they invested and now they're getting the cash flow. And because they're in a retirement bracket, their income levels lower. They're paying like on average, again, disclaimer, I'm not a CPA, but this is what my client told me is they're paying about 15% in taxes. So it, it's a matter of do I want two to three times the cash flow I was getting and pay 15% taxes? Or do I want the lower cash flow, have my money locked up and and pay the same taxes anyway. And so it was like, well, no, I'm going to diversify. So I always encourage people, don't put all your retirement in, but mm -hmm. diversify. Let's say, for example, maybe 25 to 30% of your investments are in real estate, 25 to 30 are in stocks, maybe 20 to 30 are diversified into crypto and other, right? Or savings, things like that, college funds. But you, it's going to change as you get older, right? Mm -hmm. what, I, what, I, what I would tell people, though, is make sure that you're vetting whatever you're getting into. Don't just jump into something because someone says, hey, you got to buy Bitcoin. It's great. Well, make sure that you, you spoon feed it. Don't just go drop your last $10,000. And the other thing is make sure that you're not investing uh, beyond where your emergency savings is. Make sure that you have other things and backstops to protect you in case you do lose all that money because your investments could all be lost. You got to always mm -hmm. remember that, right? Regardless of the carrot that's hanging out there with the returns. 
Yeah. And I think if we're thinking about percentages, one thing that's important to bring up with syndications is there's usually a minimum investment. So let's say, you know, you wanted to put 20% of your net worth into syndications, but you only have $50,000 total, that may be 100% of your investment capital, or maybe 50% if you can find one. Can you tell us a little bit about the minimums that you have with Sterling Rhino and maybe other syndications that you've seen? Yes, the the minimums for most 506Cs are going to be around the $50,000 range. 506B, I'm sorry, the Mm non-accredited. So we're allowed 35 non-accredited investors and then an unlimited amount of accredited. If you're doing a C filing, only accredited, and the sky's the limit there, but those are generally 100,000 to get into, which is why we take a non-accredited because it opens up our investor base quite wide. A lot of folks find us on, you know, Google or Forbes or whatever saying, hey, you know, I I didn't know that you took non-accredited. This is great. I can get in. But it is about about a $50,000 minimum. There are some funds you can get into that are less than that. You may or may not have the same type of returns, mm-hmm. but there are options for you. You just have to kind of educate yourself and vet them. Uh, so 50 to 100 is going to be the, the normal buy-in. And something mm-hmm. you said I just want to touch on, it is really important. If you only have $100,000, you probably don't want to be dropping more than thirty to $50,000 of your, of your money into any investment, right? You want to keep... Yeah six month savings, all that stuff and and diversify. Don't just dump your hundred into your first syndication, right? <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Absolutely. Great. So one thing uh, I wanted to ask you about is that, so if we do have somebody you know that's interested, they're new to investing in syndications or maybe real estate in general, what advice would you give them to kind of go through the process to get comfortable with maybe syndications in general, and then more specifically with certain GPs, general partners that they're going to invest with. Yeah. So a lot of folks get into this business because they joined a mentor program or they saw something online and there's, you know, this pie in the sky, everybody wants to create wealth, right? It's exciting and it's fun, but it's a lot of work. It's a business and we can't lose sight of that. So if Mm -hmm. someone is aspiring to be a, a syndicator, which we have lots of them actually that invest with us and we teach them for free. You know, we don't have mentor yeah. programs. We just, hey, you're a limited partner with us. We'll, we'll show you some of our stuff. We'll teach you some stuff, right? You learn a lot. Plus you get the newsletters and things like that. I encourage people to be a limited partner if they can. If you're going to be an aspiring syndicator, you should be a limited partner. You should invest with a group, specifically a group that's going to teach you some stuff because you're going to get more out of that versus, oh, I just get a newsletter every week, right? But mm-hmm. it's your call. You got to feel comfortable with, you, with whichever group. You may try to take a shortcut, which is not a bad thing, and spend some money on a mentor program and then limited partner along the way as well. I encourage mm-hmm. anyone to do that. Now, if you limited partner and or you you get into a mentor program, you want to start to think about your business. Remember, it's a business. You're not just going and buying multifamily. There's a bunch of things involved, right? And the first yeah. things first are, do I have a circle of influence I can raise capital with? Right. So maybe you have five, six, seven people in your circle of influence, 50,000, 50,000, 50,000. Okay. Well, I've got a little something here, which means maybe I can get one or two other guys together or girls or whoever, and we're going to buy a property. Right. And now we have five, 500,000, a million dollars. We now are capable. The other thing mm-hmm. you're going to want to do is start building some broker relationships and build out a CRM. How do you mm-hmm. do all that stuff at the same time? It's it's challenging. So the capital, I would say, is number one. Try to figure out your circle of influence, build some capital, get yourself a, a CRM of some sort to 
measure and, and keep educating those potential investors with you. And then the mm -hmm. next thing is you want to probably start looking at markets and talking to brokers a little bit. And obviously from there, you're building out a whole bunch of other stuff, but the priorities are a CRM and investors. I think those are the first two things you should start thinking about because putting a website up or a Facebook channel, that's easy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's overnight, but cultivating relationships and thought leadership and measuring all of that with a CRM, that takes mm -hmm. a little bit of time, right? Yeah, that I kind of followed that journey in terms of, you know, I built up a single family portfolio and then I got with partners and we started to buy some commercial and then my partners wanted to go into becoming syndicators and I became an LP on a few deals and I saw how hard you guys are working and it just, I said, you know, this is not what I want to do from Japan. You know, it's just the, the distance, the time time, you know, change, it just didn't seem to work for me. And that's why I went completely into the LP side. My partners are actually syndicators. They have a number of deals in Huntsville. So yeah, I think that's a gr that's great advice to kind of go through this process because you might find that being a syndicator yourself is not what you want. 100%. So yeah. 100%. You know, what we found too is we found groups that tried, but they just couldn't get it all together because it's a lot. So they asked mm -hmm. us, Hey, we found a deal or can we come along and, and, and do a deal with you? Or can we, and we've done that a few times, right? It's like, it's not for everybody, which is why you have to, as an LP, vet your sponsor mm -hmm. group, right? Because you may not realize that because they're really good at presenting, right? This facade, yeah. Hey, we got it all together. We're rocking. And I, I'm not saying that people have to exit deals and have thousands of units to be you know, good at what they do, but you definitely want to vet because there's a lot of new people in this space. It's not for everybody. Yeah. 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 So Chris, it, you mentioned that you spent well over like 400 hours on one particular deal. So as, as a general partner, a GP, can you tell us anything about like a, maybe this was it, but can you tell us about like a memorable experience that you had on a specific offering? Yeah, we have, I've talked about that one quite a bit. We, we have yeah. several that are memorable, a few that are just, you know, we're fortunate with all the, um, inflationary and this, the market itself and timing. And, and uh, we're going to exit a few really, really good opportunities. So we're very fortunate and blessed there. But the most memorable definitely was one that we're about to exit, which was an off-market manual deal that had no records. It had no digital records. So that's why I had to put so much time in, right? I had to fly out, I think, six or seven times during COVID over that 11-month period across the country. Had to negotiate directly with the seller at one point because of it just kind of fell apart with the brokers, the original partners, a few of them fell off and I put all the money in and just took it over and hung in there. Right. One guy actually said, I don't want to buy this kind of property. I don't want to be here. I don't want to buy this. I don't, you know, I'm like, well, <laughs> we're all in this thing. Aren't we going to like, you know, what do you mean? You don't want to buy it. Like we're, and so actually, um, we canceled that contract originally. I rewrote the contract and then put the earnest money down and took over the deal. Right. So a lot can happen in these opportunities. That was one of the first deals we did. And, and I was learning along the way, but I knew with my tenacity and business experience, I wasn't going to fail. I mean, I was going to figure it out. I just need a few other partners, right? A few other players. And then we mm -hmm. built out our team. It's really solid today, but that deal was really challenging because it was all manual. And I was told, oh, there's no way you're going to do this deal. It's manual. There's no records. There's no this. I'm like, what do you mean? There's no, there's gotta be other deals that have been financed with no records. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be, I mean, I know they have income. They have 97% occupancy, right? So I just, I dove in. I'm not kidding you guys. I went and bought a, a $250 printer, a high speed or a high speed scanner because I knew mm -hmm. I was going to have to go there in the office with the stacks of paperwork 
I have pictures. You won't even believe this place. And I was going to have to scan hundreds and hundreds of documents during my visits because he literally wasn't capable of building a P&L, a T12. Rent. I mean, it was a mess, right? I mean, yeah. it, I, I have all the documentation because I want to I want to write about this and share it with people because <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable, yeah. seriously. But that was probably the most memorable because if you can think about, for the most part, any challenge you might have on a deal, I believe we had most of them on that deal from it being manual records to CapEx issues to personnel issues to crime, you name it, deferred maintenance 30 years. We dealt with all of it. And so we really cut our teeth in a very rough property that mm -hmm. thankfully is going to have significant returns as a result of that tenacity. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. You know, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that Japan, while it's known as this really high tech country, is actually very analog. So up until COVID, it was it was a real problem in Japan because almost all records were on paper and people, there's no like online education wow. you know, and all these type of things. So everything had to be changed. And I think there's like a real digital transformation here. I've never bought a, a big building in Japan. So I don't know, but I wonder if, if many of the apartment complexes and stuff here are all just all handwritten. They require these stamps that you have to put on it. We call Hanko. So that, that's a really interesting experience. You could probably even create a niche like that, right? Like, you know, finding these buildings that are all manual and you have to convert them, probably get a lot of really great deals. Oh, they're um, tough. Yeah. yeah. But that's, yeah, it's tough. Um, why don't we, so I, what we wanted to ask too is, you know, we talked about being a GP and being an LP maybe we'll switch back to the LP side because I think most of our listeners are probably looking to passively invest. Do you have any resources that you recommend in terms of books or YouTube channels or podcasts that could help people really understand the space and get ready to invest? Yeah, I think for, for me personally, because everyone has a different experience, I, I was driving a lot and I go to the gym a lot. And so I love listening to podcasts and audiobooks, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm a I'm a big believer in mindset, you know, just, you know, how to win friends and influence people, seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all these great books that are not real estate related that helped get my mind right for this space, right? Yeah. Multi, a millionaire next door. There's all these other great books, right? That I'm sure you've heard a ton of. Those books were the most memorable for me to get my mind right for this space. And I've, I read yeah. lots of books, but then there's a lot of really good real estate books. You know, Joe Fairless has some really good ones. Brandon Turner has some good ones. There's a bunch of them off the top of my head. I can't recall all of them, but I would Continually educate yourself in this space because not everybody has the same answers and not everybody is going to resonate with you, right? So get on podcasts first. They're free, cheap, quick, accessible. Mm -hmm. Get yourself some audiobooks, right? Go to a seminar or two, maybe join a mentor program, but make sure you vet that. I've talked to several people that have been going to seminars for five years and have never done a deal and mm -hmm. they're calling themselves syndicators. Nothing wrong with that, but it's a lot of money and time to do that right? So if you're yeah. over in Japan and you're trying to do this, it's going to be podcast, audiobooks, and networking on places like Zoom and meetups. And then of course, getting on websites like ours and just diving into all the information we share, whether it be blogs or YouTube okay. channels or Facebook or whatever, right? There's a lot of information mm -hmm. in there if you, if you want to, if you want to absorb it for sure. Yeah. That's what I did. Great. And I'm sure we'll be able to link to your, you, you said you have all these resources with Sterling Rhino that might be able to, you know, help people 
get started. So we'll link to those so that people can see those. One thing I was just going to point out, being in Japan, I've always felt a little bit cut off from other investors in the United States. But the great thing right now is with this digital transformation that's going on with COVID, I was able to get into a lot of meetup groups and, you know, it was great. So to, in certain ways, COVID was kind of a, a good period, a renaissance for us overseas investors. 100%. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, great. So yeah, Chris, you you mentioned, I, I really like the book by uh, Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great one there. Do you have anybody else in the business world that you you respect, like you have the utmost respect for? And it doesn't have to be related to, to real estate, but do you have anyone that you would recommend someone follows? Yeah, I tell you, some of your best resources are, are are fairly close to home, believe it or not. And it doesn't have to be celebrities or fancy books. It could be your own CPA. You know, one of my lifelong mentors who I'm still friends with today changed my life at the age of 18. And he was this retired CPA and he built some businesses and I went to work for him and he taught me a lot about business, real estate, write-offs, investing in general. And, at, and even today, some of my closest allies are my CPAs. By far. I mean, my, they're literally my financial advisors. I paid a financial advisor thousands of dollars and he did nothing for me. You know, uh, no offense to them, but he did nothing. He basically told me to invest in the stock market and I'd be rich by the time I'm 112 or whatever. Right. And I'm <laughs> like, well, that doesn't do me any good. And I tried to talk about real estate. He wouldn't even have it. No, no, no. Real estate's risky. I'm like, like, so you want to make sure you talk to CPAs and it specifically get to know somebody who is in the real estate space. Could be a real estate CPA, a real estate attorney right? Somebody who kind of understands the advantages and that'll help at least broaden your horizons a little bit as it relates to the investing. So mine is my mentor, Ron Norgan and his wife, a CPA. Amazing. A lot of books. I have a lot of, a lot of books I'm a fan of. I have stacks of them mm -hmm. everywhere, but my CPA is my, probably my most favorite influential person in my entire life. Wow. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. Especially in Japan or being an expat, one of the things that we have to deal with quite a lot is we need to find great CPAs in the United States, but also ones in our home or in our home country where we're living to make sure everything, you know, kind of is copacetic. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, so we kind of have a, a double challenge, but maybe a double opportunity there to meet mentors in, in both both countries. Sure. So, Chris, this has been absolutely great. I learned a lot and um, really excited to to dive into some of those resources. I, I invested with you guys and I didn't even know that you had these resources on YouTube. So I'm, I'm happy to look at that and send those over to other people that are interested. So yeah, we just want to thank you a lot. And how can our listeners contact you if they have additional questions? Cool. Hey, I, I appreciate it, John, Daniel. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I had a lot of fun with you guys. You know, there, we have tons of content everywhere. I would say the first thing you could do is you could text the word Rhino 66866. And that's how you can get our early retirement calculator and some other additional information about syndication, right? We give you a series of videos. And if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll actually see about a 35 minute video of us going through the calculator process using real life scenarios from investors, right? So you can actually see the advantages of real estate investing broken down with all the numbers. It's pretty cool against the stock market. It's got all the graphs and charts and all that stuff. So that's fun. And then obviously you can get a lot of other information and content about us, blogs and sign up for the investor club if you want at sternlyrhinocapital.com. So that's how you can get a hold of us. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Excellent. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your soon to be holiday here. 
uh, to join us here on our podcast. And we we hope you come back here as well. I, I really would like to hear some more about this this big deal you you had coming up here. So uh, I appreciate it. And uh, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and end this stream here. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Great. Thank you.